if you pursue mastery and you really understand and you can represent, recreate, then you have that experience of mastery and ownership. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So Andrew, I was doing a little bit of internet research on writing, and I came across this new idea called writing across the curriculum. (laughs) (laughs) A new idea. Yes, yes. This whole idea of writing about a topic so that you understand the topic a little bit more deeply. Well, well, it's a good thing that uh, we've rediscovered that. It (laughs) reminds me of Chesterton in the first chapter of Orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. He says, I've always fantasized about writing a book about a man who takes off in a yacht and sails around the world and lands to discover a new place, only it's England. Oh, okay. And he rediscovers the place he left from. Right. Uh, seeing things anew. Right. And in a way, you know, we do have these cycles in pedagogy and curriculum discussion. And sometimes the newest thing is actually the older thing which once was a new thing, but before that it might have been an older one. Right, right. But yes, there it is a buzzwords today, writing across the curriculum. This is talked about in the teachers' conferences. It's talked about in the uh, teacher magazines. It's talked about, I don't know if any teachers actually talk about doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it definitely has appeal, Sure. naturally. Why wouldn't it? Writing right. across the curriculum. So what are you trying to do? Are you trying to write so that you learn the stuff you're trying to learn better? Or are you trying to use the stuff you're trying to learn about to write better? Right. And I think the answer is yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> see, see, you know what? I pull that trick. Yes. Yeah. Is it this or that? Yes, it is. <laughs> well, you had me stumped there. So There certainly is a lot of research mm-hmm. to support both of those claims, that when writing is integrated in the content areas, student writing improves. When content is used for writing, then learning improves. Right. And I know the online writing lab at Purdue University has information about that. And Mm -hmm. we don't have any specific study to cite right here, but they are in abundance Mm -hmm. and could be found by anyone who's actually interested. Right. I guess it's funny for us because... That's what we've always done before the three words, I guess four words, writing across the curriculum, you know, before those were were put together in a formal, publishable sounding usage, Mm -hmm. we were doing that. Webster was doing that. Right. Webster was doing that back in the 40s when he was just starting to teach school. Right. So there's a couple stories that I can think of that I would love for you to share. The one is that you share in the teaching, writing, structure, and style about 
Dr. Webster teaching at Dalhousie University? Well, yes. He returned from many years in Africa, mm-hmm. teaching and working in Africa, and took up a teaching post at Dalhousie, where mm-hmm. he was teaching African studies, mm-hmm. African history. And this would have been in the late 70s. And he found that the students there needed some basic instruction in how to write papers well. So he took a lot of the ideas he had developed over the previous years of working in elementary and middle and high schools, Mm -hmm. as well as things he had used successfully in Africa, and he created a checklist for his university students and would take the first 10 minutes or so of each history lecture and give a mini lesson on how to write a paper. Right. His background, his he's a historian first and foremost. He is an historian, yes. And he found that without good writing skills, it's hard to do history. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he, he did this. And after a few years, uh, word got around Dalhousie that if you wanted to learn how to write papers well, you would take African history. Right. And <laughs> became a little bit of a problem politically because uh, he had huge classes. So many people were enrolling his class. Uh, the European and world history people began to wonder, you know, why is this big boom in African history here? You know, such <laughs> yes. a sudden interest in Dalhousie and Nova Scotia in the 70s. But I think his background lent itself particularly well to coming up with the system because of his broad range of experience. Right. And so he taught elementary school, he taught middle school, he taught high school, he taught uh, different grades, different places, he, he moved around a lot. Yeah, he taught English language learners as well. He did, he did. And one of the things he discovered early on is that the more students write, the better off they are, the Mm -hmm. better the class, the better the learning. In fact, he he told me one story one time. He he was really pushing writing in this fifth grade, grade five class. Okay. And whenever the superintendent of the school district would come to inspect and visit the schools, every time he walked in, Webster's students were busy writing. Nice. So he got very high marks on the, you know, evaluation. But he was a little nervous about the end of the year, you know, qualifying examinations, because at that time, you had to pass a test Mm. to go on to the next grade. Oh, my goodness. Yes. (laughs) Imagine Uh, that. (laughs) And uh, so he was a little nervous because he'd stolen time from some of the subject areas Mm-hmm. to do more writing with the students. And, of course, what he discovered was that his class outscored pretty much everyone else in that grade level um, and knew the content far better because they had done so much writing. But then as you're writing about the content, I can see that because you actually own it. You, we've had conversations about that, those thinking skills that you're developing because you're writing about something. hmm And, of course, I think all of us have had the experience of reading a page or two or three or ten, closing the book and thinking, what did I just read? Exactly. You know, kind of in one side, out the other. Uh, Even if we do remember, what percentage of that Mm -hmm. do we really know? Mm -hmm. And we can spend a long time reading, you know, a big, thick textbook, but a few months after the class is over, what portion of that do we really 
know. Right. Whereas uh, what we've observed, of course, is that students using uh, a source text and a keyword outline, like in a unit two or unit four or unit six type of activity, once they rewrite that, they know it. Mm-hmm. They own it. Mm-hmm. They'll tell you all about it. We all know that book lice are tiny insects that crawl. <laughs> well, we do have the advantage there of repetition <laughs> this as <is> well. True. <laughs> but what's fascinating for parents and teachers is to see how effective mm-hmm. that really is, that retelling, that rewriting, that recreating the content is the most effective way to learn it. Right. And we all know this, but we don't implement it, usually because we, we have a, too much to do. And right. We don't have enough time. And yes. that's probably when we work with teachers in schools, one of the biggest challenges, one of the things that you know we often hear is, how do you find enough time to do writing? Right. And when, when you were telling your story about Dr. Webster teaching fifth grade, you said he stole some time from other areas. And how do we convince teachers that that's actually possible without them getting in trouble? I don't know. Well, it all depends on their situation and their circumstance and, you know, what types of curricular guidelines or standards are they supposed to be following and how closely is that being policed? Right. Mrs. Ingham would often say, now you good teachers, you know what to do. So you just (laughs) shut the door and do what works. Right. (laughs) And that was the day where you could do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Increasingly, it's difficult. But I think what we can find is that if you do teach the writing in the context of the content, then you will end up meeting more standards. You'll start to meet writing standards, or I would call them writing curriculum suggestions. <laughs> right. Uh, since if they, had, if they were standards, they'd have some teeth, you know, some consequence for mm-hmm. not. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a different podcast. A different there. podcast, yes. <laughs> but you end up meeting the standards or your objectives for writing, and you meet better your objectives for learning the content. Yes. You just may have to let a few things go. Right. But we know that students only retain a small percentage of the content anyway. So I always like to say, wouldn't it be better to know, you know, 100% of 10 things than 50% of 50 things? And now if you do the math, you'd say, wait wait a minute, 100% of 10 things is 10 things, 50% of 50 things is 25. But what have you actually learned isn't how to learn 25 things, but how to not learn 25 things, (laughs) right? right? How to not learn half of what you're trying to learn. And that becomes an intellectual habit. Mm -hmm. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you pursue mastery and you really understand and you can represent, recreate, then you have that experience of mastery and ownership. And what's a beautiful thing, a lot of people kind of notice this, but I don't think any of us contemplate it enough, is the word recreate and recreate, Mm -hmm. right? So recreation is recreation. And so we see this. We see kids enjoy this retelling of fables and representing information and playing with it and and kind of building it up and experimenting with the way they they can represent and recreate. And that's, in a way, more satisfying than just trying to create 
ex nihilo, something from nothing. Exactly. And your word satisfying, that's exactly what I was thinking. I have an undergraduate degree in recreation. And we talked about that, that Mm -hmm. satisfaction. It doesn't just mean having a good time and being joyful. It's being satisfied with the activity or, you know, in this case, writing. And I, I think about what you say sometimes. I don't like to write, but I like to have finished writing. Yes, I don't like writing, but I like having written. Having something. written, <laughs> yes, exactly. So we have that opportunity for these kids to learn how to write. So it would be really important then for the teacher, if they're using the strategy, to find the interesting or important or relevant topics for them to be writing about so that they can maybe let some of these other things go. Exactly. You know, the source texts mm-hmm. make all the difference. And I'm always suggesting as, you know, as much as possible, find source texts that are interesting or relevant or something you want to learn about anyway, with kind of interesting being the first thing, because then the students are just more engaged. Right, right. But, you know, sometimes you have content that isn't particularly interesting to you, but you need to learn it anyway. Mm -hmm. And by going through the process of writing about it, Either, you know, units two, four, six, eight uh, are all lined up in that content, report, research, essay side. You gain familiarity. Familiarity breeds interest. So you actually can learn to be interested in something that you didn't think you would be interested in by studying it. And I love this idea because sometimes, well, just exactly what you said. You know, as a teacher, we have to, quote, force our children to learn topics that they may not be interested in it. But as they're writing about it, they become more familiar. They become the expert. Maybe they know more than their peers, maybe than their brother and sister. And now they know something and they're proud of it and they're satisfied. Yeah. One of my convention curriculum friends has a a talk called Knowing Stuff is Good. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) And, you know, he basically makes that argument. Unfortunately, we kind of live in a world where knowing stuff is becoming less and less important. You know, why know the dates of something? You can just ask your phone. Right. Right. Exactly. Why, why know anything if you can ask your phone? The problem is if you take that to an extreme and you know absolutely nothing about anything, then you've got no ability to ask your phone. Right. So, you know, where's the line? Whereas if you go the other way and you start learning a lot of information, it allows you to think about everything better. So I think this is another argument for writing across the curriculum. It fights the anti-knowing, multiple choice guess is good enough type of subculture that we find in progressive education. Rather, let's go back to the short essay question type of demonstrating that you know things. Now, once upon a time, um, before you came along, and it was just uh, me, myself, and I, and, mm-hmm. and the royal team, we didn't really have much in the way of content-based source materials. You know, we had the teaching writing instruction style seminar, and I would go out and say, okay, teachers, parents, this is how you do it. You go find interesting stuff that is relevant to what you want to learn, and you incorporate writing, you integrate writing in all your areas of learning. And boy, could I cheerlead that. And then only to discover the teachers had gone off and and found a few source texts and then decided 
it, they just didn't have the time or weren't organized or they got distracted and then they gave up after unit two. So that's when we thought, okay, these, these busy, busy people, they need a little more help. Right, whether it be the homeschooling mother or the classroom teacher. And then we started with the theme-based writing lesson. The first one was Bible-based writing lessons, mm-hmm. which uh, Dr. Webster and I basically put together using the uh, Bible as source texts. Mm-hmm. Well, not the whole Bible. No. <laughs> <laughs> using parts and pieces of Bible and Bible stories and Bible events as source texts for writing through the nine unit, so that over the course of a year... You could do three or four or five assignments in each unit each month. And so we pulled the things that would fit. You know, the parables, a few of the parables fit with unit three. We had some summarizing for unit four. We got some pictures drawn depicting various Bible events for unit five. Unit six was perfect because the synoptic gospels tell kind of the same information, but some of them leave out something that others of them leave in. Mm -hmm. So it fit unit six perfectly. Unit 7, creative writing, that was a fun one. Describe the plague, (laughs) you know, one of the plagues of Moses. And many boys over the couple decades we've had this have got very into it. Uh, So that was a very successful book, but it was only one, and not everyone could use it. Mm -hmm. So then we had U.S. history-based writing lessons, Mm -hmm. and these were some lessons put together by our good friend Lori Verstegen, who Mm -hmm. had been teaching all boys for a long time. All mm-hmm. her children are boys, and she had boy co-op groups, and mm-hmm. so she kind of... Uh, Did what you asked them to do, yeah. which is make up your own lessons. She found those source texts mm-hmm. that would that would connect mm-hmm. with U.S. history that would be appealing to most boys. And she actually wrote a lot of those herself. Well, we had to because of copyright. Right, when we started publishing yeah, it, Yeah, because if, if you want to, you can go pull something from Encyclopedia, <laughs> right. you know, from Britannica.com or mm-hmm. Wikipedia or whatever. But if we're going to sell it, then we have to write those source texts. So right. uh, Lori put that U.S. history-based writing lessons together, and that was very popular. And then other people said, oh, well, I've been uh, doing this, and I've been kind of thinking about that. And right. Lori got more history and ancient and medieval and... Then Danielle came out with Radar Robots and Rocketry, I think it is. And now we have Mm Narnia-based writing lessons. So the sky's the limit. The potential is infinite. The question is, you know, how much help do you need? Right. And what kind of help do you want? Mm -hmm. And we try to produce materials that fit those varying levels of need. So if all you need is a pack of stories and pictures... Well, we've got that. If you want a full-out lesson plan with vocabulary and practice practice exercises for every unit, we've got that too. Mm-hmm. So I think we're so much more well-equipped to help the teachers. We do have to be careful, though, that people don't buy, say, uh, you know, ancient history-based writing lessons and think, oh, there's my history course. That's right? such a good point, Andrew. We, yes. we want to stress that these are writing lessons that have hopefully interesting content that is pulled from stuff from ancient history, but it isn't really a history course. No, how could you cover the nine units and do a lesson or two on this and that and cover 3,000 years of history? You just can't. (laughs) No, but we could go back to our original statement, which is you probably know that part 
of your ancient <laughs> history stuff. True that. Better than yes. some of the other things you just read or watched a video or something. Yeah, it, it kind of begs the question, what's better? It's kind of what you said earlier, a couple inches deep to cover all the bases, right? We hear that. Are, is this going to cover all the bases yeah. versus going deep about a subject and then at the same time learning a skill? Maybe you won't ever in your career need to know about the ziggurats and the sphinxes and the mummies, but you would need to know how to write. Absolutely. And that is one thing we are constantly seeing articles popping up all over the place at the universities, Mm -hmm. from the university professors and university level analysts are saying, what we really need to be teaching isn't all this creative writing, all of this response to literature, all of Mm -hmm. this stuff that is most of what English is in high school classes for many Mm -hmm. people. What we really need is summarizing, content analysis, argumentation skills, Mm -hmm. right? Structure Mm -hmm. and how to do that well, style. Right. What they really are begging for is structure and style. That's what the professors want and need. Right. They want an organized paper, but they don't want to fall asleep reading it. They want it to be interesting. Well, and in the real business world, you have (laughs) the same situation. I mean, how many people do creative writing on their job? Of course, I, now we're having this explosion of interest in fake news. So okay. I guess there are, you know, some people doing that. But in the practical real world, what are we doing? We're writing communications, both internal and mm-hmm. external. We're having to summarize and present information. We're having to break things into smaller pieces in order to communicate them accurately and clearly. We're really needing the technical skills right. first. And yes, the creative comes, but it it isn't going to be worth much unless it's on the foundation of the of the structure and style, the technical ability to write ideas. So at the beginning of the podcast, I invited you to share a couple stories from Dr. Webster. You shared one. Oh, I'd yes. love to hear the other one. <laughs> <laughs> well, this this is rather humorous. Dr. Webster had been kind of working on this idea of doing a lot of writing, and he came up with various ideas for his units over a period of time. For example, he was teaching in middle school, and the students were smuggling comic books into classroom, which was contraband, and he had to (laughs) confiscate the comic books. And so he had a nice little pile of comic books by his desk, and he thought, well, they like these things so much, why not make them write about it? Mm. So he cut out the pictures, pasted them on the paper, handed them out, and said, okay, write about the pictures. And that's how Unit 5 came into being. But one story he told me, he said he was at a new school, and uh, this was a high school, and he was the low... New to him. New to him. Right. Yeah. Uh, He was the low man on the totem pole. Okay. (laughs) He was the junior teacher of all the teachers. And it was in... Canada in the early 50s, I believe. And they had a new curricular element that had to be introduced to modern schools, and that was sex ed. Oh, dear. (laughs) Well, none of the older 
middle-aged <laughs> ladies wanted to go anywhere near that because, you know, at that time and in that place, that was just not something people ever talked about. Right. So they made him take the mandatory class and teach sex ed. And he discovered that nobody wanted to talk about it either because it just wasn't done, but he had to teach it. And so he did writing. He showed the kids how to make keyword outlines and summaries, and he would give little essay question types of things that they would have to answer to demonstrate if they had understood the source text. He said it was very nice. We didn't have to talk about it at all. I would simply read the student paper, and I would know if they understood or not, and if they didn't, I could just write down the correct understanding so they could redo it, and it was a very pleasant way to teach a very <laughs> unpleasant thing. A very quiet class, that one. <laughs> Probably so. But I do hope we will see more and more schools mm -hmm. take this idea seriously. Whether it's a new idea or an old one, it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. So writing across the curriculum, we are, I think, the best equipped of mm -hmm. anyone in the publishing world to show teachers how to do this mm -hmm. in the effective and enjoyable way mm -hmm. that we know it can be done. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.